And if you're having trouble knowing how to pray for people this morning, this is where our scripture reading comes in. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23, gives us words that we can pray for anyone around us in our time of need. So would you hear the reading of God's word now, which is a prayer that we can pray anytime for people around us, just as Paul prayed for the early church in Ephesus when it says this, for this reason, because I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Amen. Thank you for entering into that time of prayer. with me this morning. Uh, That's going to be the theme of what I want to talk about for just a few minutes this morning during our sermon is this theme of praying for others. Um, So we started a new series last week in the book of Ephesians. So if you weren't here last week, uh, that's what we started. We did the first 14 verses or so. And today we're going to continue on the second second in the series. But the theme of the series, before we get into the idea of praying for others, the theme of the whole series, which is what we're trying to aim our thinking towards week after week, is loving this city. So I introduced last week how Paul's situation in the ancient city of Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, when Paul was writing to that church in that city at that time, he was, he was the minority. The, the Christians were the minority in that city. And it was a very eclectic city full of all different kinds of spiritualities. And when Paul came into that city, he was trying to encourage the church to learn how to be Christians in that environment. To how, how do they love that city well? So we introduced that theme last week. And we talked about how, how Christians can, bring, can be a spiritual blessing in any city that they're in. And so for you and I that live in this city... In this area, we can be an immense spiritual blessing here. And in fact, that's what you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a, a walking, living, breathing spiritual blessing. So you receive spiritual blessings from God through faith in Jesus, but you also are naturally that whenever you go out anywhere. You can pour that out to others just through the Holy Spirit living and breathing in your life and, and empowering you to be a spiritual good presence wherever you are. And so building off that this week, what's, what are other things we can do to love this city well? 
And today we're going to talk about prayer. Praying for other people. That as followers of Jesus, as Christians, as the church that is present here in this city, we can pray for others in a way that will change their life. That can actually change whole cities, can change the world. Prayer is a powerful dynamic. It's something that can fill you with purpose in your life here. And so in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in this letter we're going to be looking at all all winter, Ephesians really has two of the most beautiful prayers in the New Testament, I think. So, I mean, in in the summertime, we usually go through the, the book of Psalms. We do a different psalm every week in the summertime, which are beautiful prayers also. But in the New Testament, the book of Ephesians has two really beautiful prayers that like I just modeled for you during our prayer time, we can just, if you're ever struggling to know what should I pray for someone or for a group of people or just to pray at all, go to one of these two prayers in Ephesians. One of them was the one I just read, verses 15 to 23. The other one we'll get to in a few weeks. It's chapter three, verses 14 to 21. Those are great prayers to just read as prayers and to have people in mind as you pray them. So if you ever think like, man, I'm, a, I'm an amateur prayer. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Just open the Bible and read it and use it as a prayer. You know, a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago now, we did a, a class at the church talking about praying the Bible. We give out these little books and we still have copies if you'd want one called Praying the Bible. And it just talks about how the Bible is a, is a written prayer book for you. You can just pray the words of scripture for people. And so use those to your advantage. When you don't know how to pray spontaneously for people, just pray those prayers. Use this prayer today that I'm gonna teach you a little bit about as a template for how to pray for others and for yourself. What is prayer though? I mean, I, again, I, I want to be careful as we teach about something that I'm not assuming too much about where each of us are. Prayer is a big topic, and pretty much everybody in the world prays in some way. But what is true prayer? There was a memorable moment uh, over a year ago now where the children were up here during the children's moment. And the theme of the children's moment one morning was prayer. And they asked the question, what is prayer? Anybody remember the answer to this? They said, prayer is pouring our hearts out before God. And again, sometimes it takes a children's moment to make it hit directly even for more sophisticated adult minds like ours. Sometimes the way it's, it's written to kids can help us to understand it on a pure, simple level. Pouring your heart out to God. It's a, a deep, beautiful personal language you can have with God, a personal language you can have of just pouring your heart out to him, whether for yourself or for others, that can actually change the world. There's a theologian named Walter Wink, great name, who says, he says this, he says, history belongs to the intercessors. Do you know what an intercessor is? Someone who brings the needs of others before God. He says, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. So praying about the future in a way that brings it into being. That's what prayer can do. It can actually affect the future of all things. History belongs to the prayer intercessors. 
So let's learn how to do that a little bit this morning. So first thing I want to say about this is from verses 15 to 16 in Ephesians 1, is that all prayer is, is first to be soaked in gratitude, to be marked by just being grateful about what God has done. And so that, this is how Paul starts it. He says, for this reason, for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I don't, give, I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Basically means like I'm giving thanks for you because I've seen of your faith and therefore I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna remember you in all my prayers because I'm giving thanks to God for what he has done in your life. So first thing just to think about here is I want you to thank God for the people that are around you in your life. Like, again, all of us, I mean, we're sharing life together right now. So thank God for one another that you're around right now. First, I thank God for you for this church. Thank God for the church. What a wonderful thing. But whether you're a student at the college or someone who works out in a business or has family that you live close by or you're in a apartment complex with people that you see all the time, thank God for the people that you're around on a daily basis, for the people that God has put in your specific life. I mean, just think about the hundreds of billions, maybe, maybe it's an exaggeration. Think about the billions of people that have lived throughout human history. There's 8 billion people, I think, that live now. Think about the billions of people throughout all human history, every individual face and name and unique character and specific DNA. And you get to spend your life around a few hundred of them, like specific people. Like God has placed you to spend your life around just a few people in comparison. That's that. There's meaning to that. There's purpose to that. So thank God for them, for the people you get to spend the time with. Make the most of it. You get to have a meaningful impact on people around you in your life. And if those people are Christians already, so like a lot of us in this room are, are committed followers of Jesus, then that's a specific, time, a specific kind of gratitude we can have for them. We can thank God for the faith of the people around them, for the people around us, that we can thank God for the, for the way that Christian community can be an encouragement to our soul, for the way that we can play a constructive role in each other's lives of correcting, like we talked about in Sunday school today, or or bringing encouragement into people's life, or honoring people into, so that it builds up their life. And people can do that for us too. For the faith that we get to learn from people by watching how they go through difficult things. So that when we go through that difficult thing, we have someone we can model our life after. Or knowing we can go through life with other people who can teach us more about the scriptures and about what it means to love God in a difficult life. You know, being a Christian does not make life easier. You know this. So by having Christians around us, we know that we can pray for them, that when they go through challenging things, that we can be there right with them and help encourage them through whatever they're going through. You know, one, one pastor, I mentioned this on our Wednesday night Bible study, and I, I, I think this is one of the more profound things that I've heard in my entire life, so I'll share it with you now. One pastor said, none of us can be encouraged too much you know, none of us are in danger of being over-encouraged, I don't think. I don't, see, I, don't, I don't think I've ever met anyone that is obese in encouragement, right? We are all pretty much starving for more encouragement around us. And that's the role that we can play in each other's lives, whether it's someone in the faith or someone outside the faith. Be a person of encouragement. And so think about the people around you now who are not Christians, maybe. People who are, are not all in on who Jesus is. Thank God that you get to be part of their life. 
to be used by God to model Jesus to them. Give thanks that those people are just as fearfully and wonderfully made as you are. They were made brilliantly and uniquely by God just as much as you were. They are, they are endowed with the same image of God as you are. So soak your life in gratitude. You know, one, one person says, he says, to be a saint, which is what a Christian is, to be a saint is to be filled by gratitude. Nothing more, nothing less. He says, only one kind of person transforms the world spiritually. Someone with a grateful heart. So fortifying that grateful heart in prayer uh, can change your life. Now I want you, I'm gonna do an ex- I want you to think of an exercise here. Um, no pressure here. But I'm going to give you a story of a man named D.L. Moody, who's a famous evangelist from 100 years ago or so. Maybe some of you know this about D.L. Moody. But he became famous for how great of an evangelist he was, how bold and fearless he was in sharing his faith. But one of the things that he did always was he would carry around with him a list of 100 names. He wrote down 100 names of people that he knew that he was praying for daily. He would pray for a list of 100 names. And particularly, he was praying that they would come to faith in Jesus. So he, would, he prioritized people that were not Christians and said, I want these 100 people. I want to soak my whole life in prayer for them. Just devote my life to 100, 100 people. When he died later, do you know how many of them had become Christians? 96 had become Christians. And a lot of it was because of his faithful prayer just to take it one step further, at his funeral, the other four people came. And at his funeral, those four people put their faith in Jesus at his funeral. So by the time of his death, he was 96% effective. By the time of his burial, he was 100% effective. And it wasn't he that was effective because he was so great. It's because that's how effective and powerful prayer can be. And so... Again, I want to put that exercise before you. 100 names, maybe a lot. So I encourage you to scale it to yourself. Maybe it's one name. So the challenge here is not the, the amount of names, but the consistency by which you can pray for those people. So I encourage you to think of someone in your life that you can pray for, but if you're going to pray for that person, commit to praying for them daily and see what God does. God will do amazing things through that. So how can you be praying for everyone around you? Christian, non-Christian, believing, non-believing, kind, mean, whatever the case. How can you be praying for people around you? Let me give you three things from this passage as we continue on. So looking at verse 17, number one, you can pray for spiritual wisdom for people around you. Paul says, he he says, praise that, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Pray for spiritual wisdom for people. So just thinking about that word wisdom. Uh, wisdom is not just knowing about something. It's not just knowing the facts. It's not just saying, okay, I know that Christians believe Jesus raised from the dead. It's not just believing that, okay, the Bible is a good spiritual book. It's not just believing going to church is a good thing or I should be a good person. Wisdom is knowing those things and then understanding how it can be lived out in your life, knowing what to do with some knowledge. And so that kind of wisdom, spiritual wisdom is the kind of wisdom that has to be given to you, has to be opened up to you. You can't just go find spiritual wisdom at Barnes & Noble, for instance. It has to be opened up to you. It has to be revealed. The curtain has to be opened for you to see it. And that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesian church. He's I'm praying that the knowledge of him would be opened to you. 
that you have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, meaning that it would be unveiled to this, not only knowledge of who God is, but why he matters, what his impact in your life can be. And so the prayer is for those people to know God, to know who he is. And again, I want to keep this open-minded enough. This is for Christians and for non-Christians. Like for Christians, like when we pray for each other, we should be praying for each other to know God more and more. Like the prayer doesn't have to change. Like if you're a believer in Jesus, you know God, you have a personal relationship with him, but you should want to know him more and more on a deeper and increasing basis. And so when I pray for you, I can pray this same prayer that your knowledge of him would grow deeper and deeper in wisdom and understanding. But certainly, if it's a non-Christian, you want that person to, to know God the first time as well, be introduced to him, to have that relationship with him, to be brought into his presence. You can pray for that spiritual wisdom. The greatest gift and purpose for each of our lives is simply to know God as a person, as a relational being, not to know about him, but to know him, to be in relationship with him. And that's what the Bible promises that can happen. The apostle Paul, who's writing this letter in Ephesians, he's talking about his own life in Philippians 3. And he's talking about how he used to be, you know, a Pharisee, which was this legalistic, really rigid, insistent on the law, religious person. And he talked, I'm going to use his language here. He says, he says, I was zealous. I was a persecutor of the church. I, was, I had all my righteousness under the law. I was blameless. But he says this. Listen to how he talks about knowing God. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He says, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of many things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on him, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Paul was so, he just, he got infatuated with knowing God because he said, he's like, I had all this stuff that I gained. I had it all. But to know God relationally, to be encountered by him, to be introduced to him as a person, changed my life. And nothing else mattered then. And this is the same prayer that Jesus prays himself in John 17 when he's praying for the disciples right before he goes to the cross. He says, I pray that you can know God as I know God. I pray that you can be one with him just as I and the Father are one. Jesus is saying the way that I know the Father, you can have that. And I want you all to have that as well. And that's the core of of life, not just the Christian life. That's the core of life. It's having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. And that's how we can be praying for each other. That's how we should be praying for anyone that we encounter is that I want, I want that person to experience the life that is meant for them by knowing the creator and therefore being in rhythm with what the world was designed to be like. Prayer is knowing what God is doing in and through your life and the world. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we can pray for for others is uh, in verse 18. Uh, I'll describe it as uh, not just spiritual wisdom, which was the first point, but now a spiritual future. Verse 18, it says, um, having, the, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So again, each of us are living our lives um, And every moment that is in front of us is the future. 
And every moment that is in front of us, which is the future, is not guaranteed. Right? So tomorrow is not guaranteed. The next day is not guaranteed. An hour from now is not guaranteed. So the future is out of our control, by and large. And so particularly if, you're, if you believe the world is a spiritual place, which that's a huge advantage for us in Salem. Most people in Salem would believe that this is a spiritual place, that there are real spiritual things happening in the world. Because of that, each of us has a future destiny of some sort. And so what can we be praying for each other is that not only that they would know there is a future, because most people know there's a future of some kind, but that they would have the future that is certain, the future that is promised, the future that can give you peace today, because you don't have to worry about the future. You know, the famous verse in Jeremiah 29 is, is it Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's the prayer of a person who knows what's coming around the bend. And think about the people that all of us know who you just look at and you say, you just don't know what is going to happen to you. You don't know the purpose for which you're living and you don't know what's going to happen when you die, when that moment comes quickly. So we can pray for the spiritual future of anybody around us, um, that they would know their spiritual future. Like that's, so that's a salvation prayer, certainly that people would come to know Jesus and then have that certainty of what comes after death for them to give them the hope of heaven. But it's also a prayer for Christians too. That's a sanctification prayer. That whatever comes tomorrow, if it's difficult or hard or it makes you want to give up, you don't have to because you have the certainty of the glorious inheritance that is yours, the hope to which he has called you to, to know the day-by-day growth of growing in Christ-likeness. And what this does is it just shows us that everything in life matters. Everything in life matters. And that's important for people to know and to hear that it matters and has purpose and meaning. Everything that we go through has purpose and meaning if you know what the end of the story is. That there is a hope that is possible to understand and to live into. And the heart can find a home when it is enlightened to the power of the hope of the gospel of Jesus. And that's just a, that's such a cool phrase, isn't it? That the eyes of your hearts are enlightened. That your heart, your heart can see. Do you, do you ever think about your heart having eyes? Like your heart isn't just a feeling thing. Like your heart can see and can, can know what is coming for you. That's what's given to you spiritually. All right. So the last thing we can pray for folks, and I think this is the most important one, just kind of how it flows. This is what Paul spends the most time on in verses 19 to 23. Not just um, spiritual future, uh, but also spiritual power. Spiritual power for today. If you look at verses 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, Paul is saying that you can be given today and you have access to today the same power, spiritual power, that raised Jesus from the dead. That you have spiritual power that is able to raise the dead Do you know the spiritual power that has changed the world? Again, we're making this big assumption that there's a spiritual world that we're all living in, that there's more in front of us than we can see. It's like the world is more than just these pews and the money in our bank account and the house we can buy and the job that we want to have. But there is a spiritual world that we are a part of and there's power that comes with that. And you have access to spiritual power through faith in Jesus, which gives you the ability to live a life of vitality and purpose and change 
that previously, apart from Jesus, you couldn't do. That God raised Jesus from the dead. He gave Jesus ultimate authority over the world. He placed Jesus above every other ruler. He named Jesus for the greatest name now and forever. And he installed Jesus as the head of the church. And that is the power of the living God, the Holy Spirit, who brings life out of death, who is unconquerable, and is victorious, and that is given to you. That when Jesus raised from the dead, he said, you get to have that resurrection power in your life too. Listen to Romans 8, 11. It says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And this means that you'll never die, ultimately. Your physical body may die, but your soul, your spirit will never die. You'll be filled with life to the full. You will be unshakable. The power of all powers is yours. And you've been given access to the greatest gift you can possibly be given. Just to take this one step further, Jesus says this. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do. Do you hear that? If you believe in him, you'll do his works. So you'll try to be like Jesus. You'll try to model your life and imitate him. Okay, I want to be like Jesus. Great. But Jesus says, you'll be able to do greater things than I will. How is that possible? Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. So how can that be a prayer for other people around you? Do you think that's compelling? Like if you were to go up to someone on the street and say, did you know that you have access to the greatest spiritual power in the world? Like think about how infatuated our world is with the Marvel movies and superheroes and spirit and power that people see in, in, on the cinema, on the, on the screen. And yet the reality is we actually have access to a greater power than any of that. The resurrection power that's given to us in Jesus. Which means that when we pray for people, it actually means something. It means that when we care for someone in the love of Jesus, it's actually bringing about their good. Like, miraculous healing can take place. Previously dead things can come to life. Those who are lost can be found. Those who had no purpose at all, who were hopeless and were living on the streets, all of a sudden can find hope. Spiritual power. That's a way to love the city, by saying, I'm going to pray this for you, that you can experience this spiritual power on a growing basis. Just to drive this home, here's my my final illustration for you, just a story. Um, I'm going to read this. This is from a book that I read this week on prayer, which is, I can recommend that book to you another time. Um, A wonderful book on prayer that taught me a lot just this past week. Um, But this is a story that that they tell. It's the story about a single mother named Monica. So I'll just read it verbatim from this book. Um, It says, Monica was a single mom with one child, a son. And she was a devout believer who sang hymns over her child when he was a baby and prayed nightly with her hand on his forehead. The boy grew up, though, to see the world quite differently from his mother. And as an adolescent, he became known in their town as a womanizer and would often be seen publicly drunk at untold hours of the night. He had an extraordinary intellect, and eventually he grew into a great philosopher, channeling all of his energy into combating his mother's Christian faith. But Monica didn't give up. She continued to pray nightly for her son's salvation, just as she had done with her hand on his tiny forehead when she was a young mother. When he was 19, Monica, the mother, had a dream through which she believed God was promising to answer her prayers for her son. 
So in response to her dream, she grew more and more intense in her prayers. One year passed, another year passed, and then another year passed, and there was no change, no moment of hope even, no change of heart or openness to belief. Nine years after that dream, the boy made plans to travel to Rome, which was known for its revelry and debauchery. Monica stayed awake all night in intense prayer that God would prevent his travels to Rome. Little did she know that her son had changed his plans and sailed for Rome that very night, already on his way as she prayed for him. On that trip, sitting alone one afternoon in a garden in Rome, Monica's son heard the audible voice of God speaking to him. Bewildered, he opened up the very scriptures that he had dedicated himself to despising and disproving. And right then and there, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Monica's son's name was Augustine, later known as St. Augustine. And he went on to be widely considered the greatest theologian in history and a father to the early Christian church. So this writer summarizes prayer releases power. A lifelong commitment to prayer. And God speaks. God changes. And if you read the scriptures, there's just so many stories of insistence of prayer. And I'll just I'll finish by just sharing my own experience of prayer um, that had nothing to do with me necessarily. But um, I've been asked in the past, you know, Stephen, tell me your tell me your faith story. How did you come to be a Christian? And uh the way that I've liked to begin telling that story, which is the part I'll share with you now, is the part that came way before I was born, which is the, the part of the story where my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents and my great-great-great-grandparents, as far back as our family can remember, prayed for the next generation, prayed for their children and for their grandchildren and for their great-grandchildren, so that people like me could step into a life of faith and maturity that was totally undeserved by me, so that I just step into a place where I just see faith around me. And then, of course, I have to accept that when I get older and go deeper into it and own it on my own. But I'm a recipient of the power of prayer being released to my family as well. So I encourage that to you. Pray for your family. Pray for your children, for your grandchildren. You never know how that's going to work, just like it did for Monica and for St. Augustine that came from her line as well. Let me close us in prayer, and then we'll finish by singing a final song together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of prayer. I pray that you would uh, spur each of us in some way to apply this to our life, whether it's carrying a list of names in our pocket and praying for folks, um, or just being really diligent to uh, commit to prayer and to grow in it. As the front of our bulletin says, we learn to pray by praying. So this isn't, we don't have to be some kind of smart, um, you know, Ivy League graduate. Learn how to pray. We just learn to pray by praying. So God, uh, keep us awake at night to pray. Awake us early in the morning to pray. Teach us as a church to pray. And we pray now for the city of Salem. We can love it well. And that this city would be changed for your glory. So keep us committed to being a church that prays hard and well for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.